Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, January 24th, 2022. I am Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, yet another weekend of great content in the podcast mm-hmm. feeds. Um, it started off uh, on Friday evening, if you are a member of our Patreon. I am. Um, with, <laughs> I'm well aware. Um, <laughs> with my special episode with Jeff Harner talking about bringing back his Cy Coleman show, um, A Collective Cy. Uh, to Birdland good, in New York good. City on thank you, uh, January 31st at 7 p.m. It was a great conversation talking to him about that show, The Art of Cabaret, Cy Coleman's uh, Stephen Sondheim. He actually just finished um, his Stephen Sondheim show a few weeks ago um, around the country as well. So I talked about both of those legends and his relationships with both of those incredible writers. Um, and he had some great stories and some great insights on what his process is when creating these shows. So highly recommend that you listen to that. And also get some tickets to see his show on Monday, January 31st sure. at Birdland. Then on uh, on Sundays this week on Broadway, Peter, James, and Michael talked about a whole host of things. Peter had been out of town, so he saw the national tour of The Prom. They discussed that. I know James went back and saw Girl from the North Country for uh, another time before uh-huh. it closed down um, for its quote-unquote hiatus. They also talked about Whisper House at 59 East 59th. Um, I am going to that. I am sometime this mm-hmm. week. I was supposed to okay. on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sigh. Sigh. Collective sigh. Yeah, collective sigh. They have to talk about 54 Sings Liza with uh, Christine Petty and some other stuff, too. So I um, recommend you check out both of those things. As always, you can get all of Broadway Radio's content before anybody else in the world at patreon.com slash Radio. Now, Ashley, we're going to start this episode off with some news that broke on Sunday evening, but had actually been percolating without a ton of details um, for months now, dating back to mid to late November. Last evening, the producers of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child announced that the contract of leading man James Snyder had officially been terminated. Uh, The show returned to Broadway on November 12th, but then one week later on the 19th, the production received a complaint from Diane Davis, who was playing Jenny Potter, about Snyder. Neither the details nor the nature of the complaint were detailed in the producer's statement, although they did say some things that leads you to believe whatever you may, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But upon the receipt of the complaint, Snyder was immediately suspended while a third-party investigation looked into the accusation. The production said in their statement, quote, at the conclusion of the investigation, the producers decided Mr. Snyder should not return to the production and terminated his contract. While, as I said, there were no specific details given about Davis's complaint. The statement did say, quote, we are committed to fostering a safe and inclusive workplace, which is why we have robust workplace policies and procedures in place for all those involved in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. This includes strict prohibitions against harassment, emphasis mine, in mm-hmm. any form, as well as channels through which any employee can report conduct that they believe is inappropriate. We will continue to do all we can to ensure the extremely talented team that brings this production to life feels safe, empowered, and fully supported. The statement also said that Davis made, quote, the personal choice to take a leave of absence from the production. Now, Ashley, I don't think that there is honestly a lot to say about this beyond what is in the statement, other than at least as to how it pertains to their actions following the complaint. Um, It appears that the production handled things properly. We don't know what happened before the complaint, and we haven't heard from anybody else. So this is obviously a PR statement. um, but. If we and take also, everything at face and value. And also how long, because I mean, you mentioned that it's been going on yes. for a bit. Like, how long has this actually been going on, I guess? 
Yeah, Snyder has been out since November. Like this yeah. is he I that's when I started hearing stuff about this. Um but the one thing I will say is is that I was a bit uncomfortable with Diane Davis's name being mentioned. Now, mm. I would hope that she approved that ahead of time. If not, sure. that's gross negligence. So I'm assuming that she did. Um but the one thing I will say is that given after I thought about this, given the fact that she was taking a leave from the show and I'm not exactly sure how long she's been out of the show, but perhaps including her in this and getting her permission to do so was done from a crisis management standpoint mm-hmm. to stave off any rumors that might have started to circulate in the community and especially on message boards that after this announcement, they might have looked and be like, oh, she's been out for a while. What does that mean? Did the show Man. fire her? Was she involved somehow? Was she, you know, a member to their, a party to the harassment, not a victim of the harassment? So we don't know the circumstances, uh, you know, but I'm sure many people can fill in their own blanks. Sure. Um, but it did make me uncomfortable that she was named specifically, although in retrospect, it probably was the least worst option yeah. um, from a group of all bad options. Yeah, essentially what I was going to say. Like, I agree with you. I have to hope that she was obviously given the you know, okay to put her name out in the public like this. But I, I think you're right as well that in a, inadvertently, if nothing else, like this did take any kind of negative pressure off of her around yeah. whatever her leave of absence is. Um, it seems like the this was the most efficient path to get here that everything is hopefully settled behind the scenes now um i hadn't heard anything about this so it kind of took like not even through the grapevine but it kind of took me by surprise and also not surprised at all <laughs> like that's what i told you before we started recording is like how much can i actually say about this because another harassment case on stage i kind of have to not be surprised anymore yeah unfortunately that is yeah 100 the truth but All right, moving on to something that is also very difficult. Last Friday, legendary rocker and actor Meatloaf died at the age of 74 due to complications from contracting COVID-19. The performer, who was born Marvin Lee a day, appeared as a replacement in the original production of Hair. He also toured in the first national tour as Mother and General Grant. Then he originated the dual roles of Eddie and Dr. Scott in the Rocky Horror Show and played the priest in Rockabye Hamlet. Of course, he rose to real prominence uh, for his incredible rock tenor voice, singing powerful and theatrical rock songs written by Jim Steinman. His debut album, Bat Out of Hell, get this, was on the charts for over nine years. It went... It went 14 times platinum and produced five singles that charted, including Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, which I have said on Some Like a Pop for years, which is one of my top five favorite songs of all time, mm-hmm. all, all revved up with No Place to Go and the title song Bat Out of Hell. This, the album still sells uh, roughly 200,000 to a quarter of a million copies every year. Meatloaf won a Grammy for the song I Do Anything for Love, which appeared on his Bat Out of Hell 2, colon, Back to Hell uh, album. In addition to his singing career, Meatloaf was a fixture on screens large and small, highlighted by the fact that he reprised the role of Eddie in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was also in a ton of movies, including Wayne's World, Leap of Faith, Spice World, which I have a funny story about, which I might share sometime. Um, And of course, he played Robert Paulson in the iconic Mm -hmm. film Fight Club. 
However, before his death, Meatloaf was very outspoken about steps being taken uh, to keep the public healthy during the COVID-19 pandemic, saying at one point, quote, if I die, I die, but I'm not going to be controlled. It was not immediately reported if he had been vaccinated at the time of his death. Now, Ashley, despite his opposition to pandemic related protocols and his extreme climate change denial, once saying that he pitied Greta Thunberg because (sighs) he, he said she did not do anything wrong, but he believed that she had been brainwashed into believing something that was not true. Um, I still uh, grew up loving his music, and I find this and a lot of his political positions very sad. I think this is very sad. Um, been I wouldn't necessarily say a fan, but in a, a fan in the way that I think everybody <laughs> kind of is yeah, a fan of, that they know very be. specific songs. Yeah, of course. They're all bangers and bops. Um, so this is very sad. And as you said, as are his views towards public health and climate change over the last over the recent years but yeah eh. he's an interesting dude and i felt a kinship to him also because he also like coached his daughter's softball team like it it was just an interesting uh, situation and you know they called him coach coach meat and you know it was just kind of like you know it's like uh i i had i I felt a lot of connections to him and and until i you know learned about some of these things Yeah. yeah But still, still very sad. And I think it's honestly, I think everybody who dies from COVID, especially after denying it, I think that is sad because generally they got to the situation where they were denying it because they were misled and lied to. And and that is just sad in and of itself. Yes, indeed. All right. It was announced last week that for this coming season, Tony Award voters will be required to undergo an unconscious bias training in order to submit their official picks. According to the course description that they will be required to take, it is intended to inform the voters about how unconscious and even implicit bias can play a factor in their decision-making process and what these members can do to address it. In 2020, the BAFTA Awards did the same thing, and the Tonys did say that if a voter has already completed required implicit bias training through other professional organizations like the Broadway League, Actors' Equity, etc., that that would fulfill the requirement. Here's the thing, though, Ashley, much like the Tony rules Mm. that require voters to have seen every show nominated in a category, this is being done... Yeah. On the honor system. <laughs> like, vote, vote. Hold on. Let me finish this. Okay. Voters must vote. <laughs> I just got to get the timeline out there. Voters <laughs> must self-confirm that they have completed training by March 1st. Now, even though there's been no official statement as to when the Tonys will actually be, and there has not been a, a confirmation as to when the season cutoff will be, the, the March 1st date does seem to lead me to believe that we are going to be on a fairly normal season schedule. Ashley, like it. Yeah. The, flo- the floor is yours. I, <laughs> so in college, my freshman year, I had to take a course called Library Skills, of which you were basically required to you know look at the online catalog for the school's library and then self-submit a bunch of stuff. Kind of feels like that, only with, you know, I guess bigger stakes here because it is supposed to be like, hey, we're not biased and we're not gonna 
you know, nominate all white men for every award like we have well, done in the it's past. Not the, it, to be clear, this is not the nominations. The nominations tend to, tend no, to be fairly right. diverse. This is the voters. Right. Um, and we've talked about Fair this enough. before, and, and we got a <laughs> very, very angry email from a Tony-nominated uh, uh, yeah. uh, individual yeah, um, after our Tony wrap-up about talking about the disparities between the types of people in terms right. of demographics who nominate and who vote. Sorry, not the question, but I just wanted to make no, sure that that abs- was clear. you're absolutely right. Absol- absolutely should have said who we shouldn't have voted in every white man like we do every year because that is still the case. Uh, and you can write whatever letters you want to me on that case. Uh, bizarre. I just like if it seems like as always, we're kind of doing the bare minimum as far as proving that we're not racist, sexist, whatever as an industry. And yet still remains to be the case. Yeah, it is It is very strange, and I'm not exactly sure why that decision it's was It's like anyone just... Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing as someone just, like, saying they're an ally in whatever case, as opposed or to, like... posting a black square on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, but, like, instead of, like, the, a marginalized person, or hopefully many, many people within that community saying that you are an ally, it's, it's the, I'm an ally. It's like, okay, yeah. but who told you? this yeah it's it's a very Ugh. strange situation and i'm not uh, i wish i, I mean I'm, I'm happy that they're doing this training it's something but yeah, it's but, the uh, bare uh, minimum something yeah and how they're doing it is, yeah. is strange but mm. anyway let's talk about some show and casting news and two stories that came out on friday that are oddly related so we will get into that first it was announced last week that classic stage company will be pushing back their previously announced production of marcus gardley's black odyssey to later in the season the show had been scheduled for roughly around this time but no dates had been officially announced the show is described as quote a vibrant reimagining of the odysseus saga set in modern day harlem telling the epic tale of ulysses lincoln a soldier facing the most daunting of voyages to reunite with his family while fate may seem uh, in control of ulysses destiny his ancestors and their buried history will help guide his journey home i'm glad that even though this is being pushed back it is just being pushed back to this season so um, presumably later this year yeah and i've already like i didn't know 100 that this show is existing i'd heard a little bit about it but i was like one day just completely inundated by ads for it across social media and now it seems to yeah, oh maybe the dates had been announced then maybe I, I... I don't i don't remember seeing the dates on the ads though oh, <laughs> it was just okay. like one of those this is a hap- this is happening kind of situations it look like Odd. but honestly i don't know yeah i got the email because i uh, get the csc emails they said the same thing like it had been scheduled for winter 2022 yeah. but it's been pushed back so anyway sticking with odysseys it was announced that the york theater company will be presenting the world premiere of the new musical comedy penelope or how the Odyssey was really written, with performances running from March 22nd through April 24th at the theater at St. Jean's. Of course, the York Theater um, was damaged significantly by a flood, uh, I think, last year. It might have last been going back into year, 2020. Um, and they are still not able to get back into their building, but I'm glad that they hmm. are being able to do this show um, yes. at the theater at St. Jean's. This was written by Peter Kellogg, who uh, previously worked with the York on Desperate Measures, as well as Stephen Weiner and directed 
by Emily Maltby, directed and chore- choreographed by Emily Maltby. Yeah. Um, in in this show, quote, Penelope is married to Odysseus, the king of Ithaca, a Greek island in the Ionian Sea. She is currently waiting for him to return from the Trojan War. She's been waiting a long time. 20 years, 10 years since the war ended. A bevy of suitors have gathered, each wanting to marry her and take over the kingdom. To stall them, Penelope writes letters to herself and pretends they're from Odysseus, (laughs) saying he's on his way. Little does she know that her letters gathered together are creating the story of the Odyssey, which I think is a really, really funny look at that's fun this. i like yeah that. that's fun and i really liked desperate measures i saw it. i didn't see yeah. it at york i saw it when it was at new world stages um and mm-hmm. uh, I, I i really enjoyed it so i'm i'm looking forward to this one that's a fun one we got the odyssey this week and last week it was orpheus and orpheus. so we're just kind of <laughs> covering it that's all. right i forgot <laughs> yeah those that that source material overlap is, uh, is strong with the greek <laughs> myths right now yes. um this is not a a Greek myth related source material story, okay. but it is something that is mythical in my heart okay. because it was announced <laughs> that a musical version of the great, um, great, well, the great, the great British Bake Off show um, will be coming to the stage this summer. Um, it'll have its world premiere at uh, Cheltenham's Everyman Theater beginning on July 22nd. The original score is penned by Jake Brunger and Pippa Cleary, who wrote the musical Adrian Mole, which I remember hearing quite a bit about a few years ago, which was like a fun yeah. um, uh, musical that, you know, had quite a bit of a following in the UK. Yeah. And it, it will explore the trials and lives of eight bakers involved in the series. Um, no, <laughs> I like no, it. no, it's yeah, that, no, no. If those are like real bakers who have been involved in the series, like I'd be if surprised. Saying, I'd be very surprised well, of that. It is interesting because um, over at uh, Theater Mania, they have a list of like theatrical pasts of people who are involved with Great British Bake Off and mm. um, including one of them um, uh, you know there's there's quite a few and, and not to spoil anything but a number of them including including recent ones have been um, you know worked in administration my favorite from not this past season but um, two seasons ago um, Lottie Bedlow she is a uh, yeah. uh, she's a, a panto producer so yeah, so like there's a there's a lot of folks that have backgrounds in theater. Of course, um, Mel uh, played Sarah, I think, in Company mm-hmm. in London, and then of course Matt Lucas played Tenardier. So it's like a lot of folks um, around the GBBO world have theater backgrounds. So I am currently looking to book my first ever trip to the UK to see this this summer. Yeah, so, you know. it's, it's kind of weird that you've become such a Bake Off person. I'm not it's, gonna lie, because well, you're not to be usually. Honest, a food person food show person well i will tell you like back in the early aughts like when the cake and cupcake it was actually cake shows first like i love yeah i loved the cake shows first when they were just like kind of like the generic food network ones but then i loved ace of cakes i loved um, cake boss love cake boss yeah yeah so like uh, it's more of a return to it for me than just kind of finding it but uh, anyway (laughs) i will wrap up 
this episode with a absolutely touching recommendation. Ashley, you mentioned the schadenfreude that you were loving on Saturday night. You and I both loved that. But another thing on Saturday night that got me um, very excited and had the warm fuzzies all over my body was (laughs) that a video posted um, by the media relations director or marketing director for Southern New Hampshire University. Um, Apparently, during the pandemic, when uh, Come From Away was shut down. Emily Walton, longtime cast member, decided to finish her college degree, but because by the time they started having performances or uh, performances and her graduation, that overlapped and she wasn't able to go. So the president and CEO of Southern New Hampshire University, which I believe is like an online school, so yeah. um, they came and presented her with her uh, diploma on Loved stage. It. Her cast had like her a cap and gown for Just her as well. It was the they quick were ready change to go. right there. I know they put it on her. She was a mess. Of course, her yeah. her uncle Jim is also in the cast, so he was there with her, kind of like had his arm around her the whole time till she had to go up. It was very sweet and very touching, and it felt of course so. I cried. Right. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, So between this and like, uh, I think it was you and I that talked about last week, like the company members from Come From Away coming from all over the world. Like these stories Mm -hmm. about Come From Away just feel so inherent to what Come From Away is about. It just it moved me wonderfully. And I'm very excited to see the tour in a couple weeks with my grandmother. Um, But I just I love this show and I love this video. So we will have a link to that in the show notes. All right, everybody, that is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW. Matt, Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday. Have a wonderful week, and we will be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>